Welcome everyone to the Future of Hearing Healthcare panel discussion, Ear and Hearing Care for All. We can make it happen. The title comes from the World Health Organization's initiative kicked off on World Hearing Day to deploy basic ear and hearing care globally by enabling primary caregivers. The WHO says 60% of issues can be addressed this way. For example, ceremony management or otitis. Hearing loss would be screened, but not treated. Then how do we actually reach the 430 million people with debilitating hearing loss? It's not at all an idle question. The WHO estimates the direct cost of unaddressed hearing loss amounts to over $500 billion from other resulting healthcare costs, lost productivity, and educational support for students. A study published in The Lancet estimated similar costs and concluded that every dollar spent on treating hearing loss will save $15 in other costs. Plus, we have to consider the human dimension, the quality of life improvement that comes from treating people's hearing loss. In a world where many regions have single-digit numbers of audiologists per million residents, new thinking on providing diagnostics, treatment, and devices is needed. How to address hearing loss globally is the topic of this panel. With me are three amazing people working on this specific problem. Their accomplishments can be a guide to bringing hearing loss care and treatment to the global population. Let's begin by briefly introducing ourselves. I'm Andrew Bellavia, founder of Aura Futurity, providing go-to-market and branding services to innovators in the hearing and broader communication and accessibility spaces. Prior to starting the company, I was 10 years in the Hearing Health Tech Division at Knowles Corp, and I've been a hearing aid wearer myself for the last four years. Hi, it's nice to be here. I'm Audra Rainey, and I'm the Executive Director of Worldwide Hearing Foundation International and the founder of Ear Access. Um, prior to working in the hearing law space, my background is actually in finance, um, and I also spent uh, two years working in the nonprofit sector in, in Africa. Um, and I've now been uh, working with Worldwide Hearing for over 12 years. Uh, and Worldwide Hearing is a nonprofit focused on bringing affordable hearing aids and services uh, globally, uh, in particular to low and middle income countries. Um, and we really do three things. Um, first, to bring affordable hearing aids um, to the countries in which we work through partnership. Uh, we also uh, work on training local people, uh, technicians, to become uh, hearing aid providers uh, and be able to do the testing and the follow-up care. Um, and we really work uh, as well on using uh, mobile technologies, uh, making these more av widely available to be able to do uh, more outreach to rural areas where people don't have access uh, to hearing care. Um, our goal ultimately is to empower the communities we work with to be able to provide more hearing aids, more hearing care uh, in the countries in which we work. Great. It's wonderful to be with an esteemed panel like this. My name is David Swanepoel. I am an audiologist, a professor at the University of Pretoria in South Africa. Uh, our department is also a WHO collaborating center for the prevention of deafness and hearing loss. And uh, my area of research interest has really been around access uh, to hearing healthcare, especially in under-resourced uh, areas. Being based in Africa, that's a, a very real reality for us. Um, so that's uh, the kind of academic role I play. I also 
Uh, I'm a co-founder of a digital health tech company called the Year X Group, where a lot of the research we've done has translated into solutions that help to broaden access to hearing healthcare uh, using smart digital solutions that, that people with minimal training can actually operate to deliver care. Hello, everybody. Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening. I'm Shelly Chadha, and I'm the technical lead for Year in Hearing Care at the World Health Organization. Um, my background is uh, from India. I'm from India, and I'm an otolaryngologist and a public health expert uh, who has worked uh, most of my life as a clinician in the first phase and then as a public health person. Uh, working now with the World Health Organization to shape uh, global action on ear and hearing care for the last uh, 10 years. And for those of you who don't know, the World Health Organization is the United Nations uh, specialized technical agency that works on a variety of health issues, such as the recent COVID pandemic, uh, but also on issues such as sensory health, hearing care, vision care, and, and a whole lot of other issues. So very happy to join this panel today. Thank you. It, it's it's wonderful to have you all on today. And Shelley, I want to start with you because there are a number of factors preventing the global treatment of hearing loss today, but really starting at high level, even if we had the means to address hearing loss, uh, it also takes the will to do so. So how possible is it actually to engage government and other decision makers on the need to address hearing care? Yeah, thank you for that question, um, Andrew. You start with the toughest questions, hitting the nail on the head right <laughs> at the start. Because engaging governments and making sure that hearing care becomes integrated into national health policies as part of healthcare systems through which countries provide healthcare to people uh, is what our work is all about. And of course, it's not. Uh, it's not easy, but what we need to do to make this happen is really uh, multiple factors. So firstly, for governments to act, we need to raise awareness. We need to advocate with them. And advocacy is in a way both um, top down and bottoms up because advocacy from, uh, from agencies like the World Health Organization, of course, um, which is evidence-based advocacy, giving the facts, figures, giving the evidence behind it and so on. But also advocacy from within countries, from communities who can then uh, advocate with governments in order to motivate and stimulate action for, uh, for hearing care. So one is advocacy, which is evidence-based. So that is the key, but it's not enough. Uh, it's one thing to advocate about the need for action, but then to show them that action is indeed possible. It is beneficial both for people and for governments. So that is the kind of two aspects that need to come together. Raise awareness with governments, with decision makers, whether they are uh, decision makers in governments, but also decision makers in large developmental agencies, NGOs, and so on about the need, and then make sure that they know that there is a way to do this and that this is beneficial. 
So what the World Health Organization does uh, in this respect is firstly, to support advocacy and awareness raising efforts, we create, we create the data on which advocacy rests. So the data, the evidence, and then we package it in a way that it is digestible by people, usable by people, and it is digestible also by policymakers. So, you know, give the simple facts and figures like, so to give you an example, uh, currently, one out of five people have hearing loss of some degree. And by the year 2050, this proportion will rise to one in four. Simple, clear message can be understood uh, and easy to deliver. So package this advocacy message so that people can use it to raise awareness. But then also it's important for us to raise awareness within communities itself. And for this, WHO leads initiatives like the World Hearing Day, where we go all out work with um, partners and uh, uh, collaborators across the world to really raise awareness within communities with the aim to generate that demand from bottom up. The okay. second part, okay, sorry, I, I wasn't finished there, but I, I'm happy to of course take a break and uh, uh, and uh, also ask my colleagues if they would like to, to complement or supplement what I just said. Well, sorry, I thought you were finished, but I wanted to follow up asking then in this yeah, work yeah. with decision makers and policy makers, what are some, where does the resistance come from when, when people are hesitant to integrate hearing care in their communities? Why do they resist or what are the reasons why they choose not to do so? And that really comes on to the second point that uh, we are, uh, we will, which is how to do it, because the resistance comes from the firstly from not knowing that how can this be done. Firstly, they need to understand the importance. So there is a resistance regarding the importance of hearing loss when countries are. Uh, struggling to still conquer diseases like malaria and tuberculosis, how do they then expand the, uh, the healthcare uh, fund envelope to include things like hearing care? So first point of resistance comes from not knowing what are the cost effective interventions which can be integrated and how this can actually benefit uh, economies. The second part of the resistance comes from, uh, from the fact that there, is, there are not human resources enough to deliver. So if services are to be provided, how are they to be provided? And what WHO does in this space to support governments is really helps to create those tools, those uh, uh, recommendations, uh, those models of care as well, which can show governments what can be done and what can also be done with minimal resources, both human resources and financial resources. So what can we do and how can we get really good return for, invest, for minimal investment? So uh, for this, we create, as I mentioned, those technical tools, resources that governments can refer to, providing also guidance 
like our recently launched uh, primary ear and hearing care training uh, resource. So how can people already within the health system be trained and empowered to provide certain services, mitigating the need for highly trained professionals who are not easily available. So those are some of the, the key challenges. I wouldn't say they are the only challenges, but some of the key challenges that, uh, that governments face and what WHO does to, to kind of help them overcome these challenges. But okay, thanks. both my uh, colleagues on the on this panel are, uh, uh, I think, very well acquainted with challenges of governments and how to address some of these. So perhaps they would like to uh, to add to this. Well, I, I I'd like to uh, echo what what Shelley is saying about uh, the importance of research and evidence based research because to convince governments, uh, first of all, to put in in place an, a national ear and hearing care plan. Um, and especially to fund it, uh, they need published evidence-based data. And that's something we learned along the way when we started having conversations with ministers of health. They said, this is great. It's wonderful what you're doing, but but we need the data. And often that data does not exist in country. Um, and so it, there's a really, there's a very big importance in terms of what the WHO is doing um, and also encouraging uh, research uh, and, and data in the sector, which is unfortunately greatly lacking, but but the WHO is doing a lot of work to, to move that forward. And how are you actually uh, then, Audra, in, in country, uh, both working with local people as an NGO, if you will, but also trying to influence governmental policymakers? How is your organization proceeding on both fronts? Yes, well, we really work in partnership, uh, typically with a local organization. Uh, we, we see ourselves as a catalyst organization. Um, our goal is to essentially work ourselves out of a job. Our goal is just to help the local partners uh, be able to have um, the capacity they need, the resources they need, and really to be fully uh, capable and be self, self-sustainable and being able to provide those things. So when we work with um, increasingly at the ecosystem level with governments, it's really through our local partner. Um, you know, when when they, uh, you know, when we think when they'd like to bring us into those conversations, we're there. But ultimately, we really think it's up to the local partner to be driving that. Um, on, on, you know, if you look at the glass half empty, there's so much to do on the policy side. But if you look at the glass half full, what's incredible when you look, for example, at sub-Saharan Africa is how just a few individuals, often one person in one country, uh, was able to drive policy change. Um, and so, you know, you it really just takes passion and commitment um, to make some some very big changes in policy, and so I, I find that I find that exciting and inspiring because it's possible. Okay, and and how possible then is it, and what are the challenges that you see in order to scale what you're doing or similar initiatives to scale it globally? Sure. Well, starting with the challenges, I mean there there are many, but uh, just to sort of summarize. Um, certainly, we we focus on bringing uh, affordable hearing aids um, and, and scaling the provision of hearing aids. So uh, certainly, you know, identifying low cost or affordable hearing aids that are quality uh, digital product um, uh, is a challenge. But I would say uh, it, those products do exist. Um, being able to buy them in bulk and driving down cost even more is 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 part of the um, is part of the solution. Uh, but I would say 
even more than the tech issue, it's it's a, it's a distribution issue. Uh, many of the reasons why uh, hearing aids are priced so high, and certainly in the private sector, uh, is because of the way they're being currently sold. Um, and there are a lot of, I would say, middle people in that process that drive up that hearing aid that might have cost less than $50 to buy manufacture, but eventually can cost $2,000 or more to the end consumer. So our, our goal is really to, um, to find uh, alternative distribution models, to help develop alternative distribution models and, and go directly uh, to, uh, to patients and users um, and, and be able to, uh, to, to do that in, in a cost-effective way. Um, the other thing that I think early on came to us as a surprise, we, we thought, well, if we had all these affordable hearing aids, if we could get these hearing aids in country, um, then we could really scale up this model. And what we, we found out after doing an analysis with other global NGOs looking at fitting capacity of hearing aids across partners in country is that that fitting capacity was relatively low. So then what we started focusing on is how can we increase our partners' fitting capacity of hearing aids? And to be able to do that, um, it's a series of things, but one of them is human resources, training more people to be able to test for hearing loss and fit hearing aids. Um, and that costs money. So it's also a resource. How do we how do we catalyze more resources into this space? Uh, there are very few funders for uh, hearing loss. So crowding in new funding sources of, of not the usual suspects, but you know, people that are or organizations that start looking and getting interested in this space. Um, and uh, and I would add to that also convincing, you know, there's the part that the policy side is often there are policies in place at the at the national level, but the funding doesn't come behind it. So how do you then convince um, those to get funded uh, at more at scale? Uh, so so those are some of the um, those are some of the challenges that we've been focused on. And I would say another one uh, is when you look at the global numbers. That really, that really uh, gives an idea of the need. So the number of people with hearing loss, uh, but that doesn't equate necessarily into the demand, which is how many people actually will go out there have have gotten a confirmed diagnosis for hearing loss and have act are actively looking for a hearing aid, because that is that itself is a is a, can be a, a long patient journey to get to that level, either because of stigma, people don't want to accept they have hearing loss. People don't know they have hearing loss, especially when you talk about mild hearing losses. People go undiagnosed most of their lives. Um, the lack of availability of testing, just people don't know where to go or how to go about it. And that's where, you know, what what DeVette is doing, for example, to make that mobile testing more available um, in communities and not just in an audiology clinic uh, is very important. Um, and then, and then, you know, overcoming, there's obviously the, the price barrier, which is once they get to the part where they want to get the hearing aid, then how do you bring down that that cost of provision? Um, and, 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 and not just the price of the hearing aid, but the cost of provision to the patient, because batteries can be very expensive. You know, every year you're paying upwards of $50 in batteries for the standard kind of battery. So that's also where I think organizations like Solar Ear, Deftronics come into play, where they're doing solar powered solutions uh, that drive down that cost of ownership over time. So, you know, there are different parts to this equation. Um, and um, but but personally, you know, I, I'm quite excited about uh, what's happening globally because we're we're definitely sensing that uh, things are starting to to move in a big way. Um, you know, we're seeing more and more uh, companies coming into this space. 
uh, providing uh, mobile, more affordable solutions. And I, and I think that's also part of the part of the challenge is um, solutions that are developed in a, a high income country are not necessarily adapted to lower income countries. So when you see that, for example, the private sector adapting technologies and you know, or 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 actually developing developing them from uh, uh, a a lower income or middle income country, the design is very different. It's it's based on a very different kind of context, and they're much more appropriate for some of these uh, areas. So, those are are just a few of the uh, the challenges we see. But also, I think increased collaboration between NGOs, private sector, and government are absolutely needed for for the broader solution. Okay, and you. <clears throat> If I may uh, chip in there uh, for a bit, uh, Andrew. Thanks, uh, Audra. And I think uh, I would. I just wanted to say that, you know, when uh, you listen to various health um, agendas being discussed, not just hearing care, but also what we think must are really um, intuitive agendas like mental health or. Uh, vision and, and so on, which are uh, very well perceived, accepted, you find that they face very similar challenges to what we are discussing uh, here today. And I think what for us is really key is to, to have those um, success stories and to showcase them. So not just well, develop them because we do have, we have a number of success stories sprinkled around the world, but it's important for us to really bring them to light, uh, to showcase them, to show from one country to the other and generally to the world that this is possible and how is this possible? So to promote also that cross learning from one side to the other. And I think that is key in, in this uh, field. Thank you. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense because that's how we're going to get the global scale is by sharing and cross-pollinating success stories in one country to another. Now, Audrey, you said a couple of things that I want to ask Devet about. Um, one is on, on diagnostics and the other is actually on hearing aids. And it's a shame that Tendakai of Deftronics couldn't join us because his locally produced in Botswana solar power hearing aid, is a, as you mentioned, is addressing just the issue you talked about. And so, Devet, it, it, you know, to me, when you look at today's global hearing aid industry, they're producing about 20 million devices a year. So that's enough to fit bilaterally 10 million people, which is just barely scratching the surface of the 430 million people with debilitating hearing loss. And in fact, as Audra said, they're mostly aimed at developed countries. And so to me, it seems like the current model for device production as well as delivery and distribution isn't even going to work. And I like the idea of the locally produced model so that you might have hearing devices designed to be appropriate for that region produced in that region uh, how do you see it? Because you're you're associated with a company that's also a device supplier. How how do you see that playing out? How do you actually see the devices being produced that are appropriate for each region in the world in quantities that could meet the need if the demand was there? Yeah, Andy, those are um, difficult um, questions to answer. You know, with a, a simple um, answer. 
the reality is that you mentioned that we need to rethink service delivery models, right? So the 80% of people with hearing loss reside in low and middle income countries around the world where it's very difficult to access services. Um, that's why, according to the WHO estimates, you know, in a continent like Africa, less than 10% of people who need hearing aids actually get them. Some analysis actually suggests it's, it's less than 2%. So people are not getting the services they require, all the treatments they need. And, uh, and and the need is tremendous. I mean, I think I think that's that's one thing that the WHO is well. One of the many things they've done really well is to showcase how big this issue of hearing loss is in um, uh, globally, but also in low and middle income countries especially. So so there's a there's a disjuncture between the massive need and existing service delivery models just not being able to meet uh, the needs of the people who require the services. So so there's a lot of innovation necessary. I think we've seen over the last 10 years a, a lot of new technologies, new ideas that enable new service delivery models. And I think that's also you know part of this. Um, uh, awareness, uh, discussions with government, local NGOs, is to really kind of foster how we can use innovation to really drive new innovative service delivery models. Uh, they enable, technology is not the answer, but technology can enable new service delivery models in, in, in countries. And, and that's really where a lot of the work that we've been doing um, has been focused on how do we take hearing healthcare services outside of the traditional audiological clinic. In a continent like Africa, there's less than one audiologist for every million people. So a traditional clinic setup is not going to work. We need to find ways of actually taking services outside of traditional settings into communities, but we also need ways where persons with minimal training can actually provide basic levels of hearing health care in communities and through a primary health care kind of service delivery model. So, so, so that's, that's in terms of, you know, actually reaching people with the screening and diagnostic services that they require. Um, and it'll be great to explore some of those topics as well. You were asking about the devices. I think that's a complicated question because to develop new devices in a low and middle income country is expensive. It's not easy to you know, produce, manufacture in a low and middle income country setting or in an, let's use Africa as a, as a use case. Uh, there's better production you know, capabilities in other parts uh, of the world. But then there are these great stories about um, you know, uh, companies like um, in, in Botswana, where there's a solar uh, ear you know, manufacturer of, of devices that, that can charge um, through, through um, you know, the power of the sun, which there's lots of in Africa. So certainly there, there are small success stories, but to do that on scale, becomes a challenge when you don't have the production capacity of some of the of the larger players um, around the world. I would sorry, I would echo that, and I and I think um, it's important to not just think about new upstarts and startups and things we can do, but actually engage with the majors, the major manufacturers, um, which which is also something we've been increasingly doing because you know I that that can also be game changing. Um, if you start talking about much higher volumes at lower cost and and um, and also companies with a lot of resources behind them to be able to to help on some of these. So I, I, it's really we see this as a kind of broad collaboration of different actors, both on the from the innovation startup side, but also some of the more established players coming together. 
Um, and and I just I also just want to echo this idea. I think this idea of really innovative models, new models of delivery. That's something we're very focused at at uh, at Worldwide Hearing, but also separately at the social enterprise ear access, where, for example, um, hearing aids are being provided through pharmacies, uh, you know, optical chains, different delivery models uh, to get to consumers, which is not uh, not to say that the, the traditional audiology clinics have also their role to play. But the question is, and, and what else? And how else can we reach people directly uh, in their communities? How can we leverage existing distribution networks and piggyback of those networks to reach more people uh, in different ways, um, and um, and and also really importantly, financial sustainability. As I think we talked about, there's not a lot of resources in this place. In this space, you know, it's important to crowd in more resources, but it's also important, um, even for us at you know on the NGO side of worldwide sharing, to work on models that are financially sustainable for the partners. Which means, you know, instead of donating everything, is maybe charging a bit for services perhaps on a sliding scale where people who can afford less pay less, people who can afford more pay more. And that generates revenue for the local partner. Um, certainly maybe doesn't cover all the expenses and it can still be donor dependent to some extent, but making, you know, that that is part of the solution as well. Um, when we talk about the nonprofit sector, we think it's important that there's that kind of financially sustainability built in uh, for, for also the long-term sustainability of providing the care, because as you know, the hearing it is just the first step. It's everything that comes after the aftercare, the counseling, access to batteries. Um, that's that's ultimately what's going to ensure the outcomes on, on on a patient's life. And if those things are not in place or not supported um, through different funding sources or, or different mechanisms, then then you know you don't get those outcomes we're ultimately aiming to to reach. Yeah, and that makes a lot of sense for the overall sustainability and growth of of the model. And I definitely want to come back to Devet about how the how local allied professionals can be supported with the diagnostic tools that are available and being developed today. But I want to ask one more question about devices, and that is talking about how to engage the majors. Well, there's a new kid in town, and that's you know what in the U.S. we call OTC hearing aids, and even though that's based on a U.S. FDA rule. I mean, it has global implications. So, so I want to ask both you, Audra, and Yvette, uh, about the efficacy of OTC in the global environment, even even if it's a different model produced. And the reason why I ask that is that I recently talked with uh, the CEO of a major earbud company, and they produce about 10 million sets of earbuds a year. Okay. And so that's sets or 20 million individual earpieces, if you will. Okay. And they therefore produce as many earbuds as the entire hearing aid industry. And they're just one player in the consumer earbud space. All right. And they just announced that they're going to do over the counter hearing aids. And their lowest price model will be 99 US dollars. And that's US retail. Okay, now that device may not be appropriate for the environment we're talking about, okay? But the question is, is do you think that the consumer industry who's getting into OTC hearing aids for the US could be partners in developing low-cost hearing aids for the global environment? 
Andy, yeah, I mean, I think that's a super exciting, you know, topic and, and an area of development. Uh, I, I think the the good touch points there is that, you know, the whole OTC movement has made cost, uh, you know, a, an important aspect to address, to get those costs down so that we can get people to access the technologies they need. But it's also allowed us to think about providing amplification, providing hearing aid in a way, it aids in a way that doesn't require uh, a specialist. Because we've just said in low and middle income countries, they are usually not available. So, so there are other ways to actually provide affordable um, hearing aid technologies to, to individuals in communities. So I think there's a lot of touch points and it certainly allows us to also, you know, utilize some of those same types of technologies in low and middle income countries. We, for example, are, are running an ongoing project. We've published the first set of findings where we've used an OTC um, hearing aid in, in community-based projects where we have community health workers, minimally trained persons, but they are trained on how to use this device. They uh, do a um, hearing test with a mobile technology in people's homes for the elderly in a low-income community setting. And, and, and once they've tested them, you know, they don't have to do anything around uh, interpretation that's automated and it's also checked remotely by a program manager who is an audiologist. But then they can actually provide a hearing aid right there and then, you know, it's OTC device, they would provide, you know, the, the self-fitting component from the hearing test results through Bluetooth, the devices fit, and, and it's a low-cost technology, and, and we've done the um, initial outcomes, and, it, and the outcomes are tremendous. And that just saves the cost of people actually having to travel to clinics, trying to find services, and they're getting this in their home. And that contact point of a community health worker, and this is one of the key enablers that the WHO is also promoting, task shifting to minimally trained persons who can enable these service delivery models. Um, that becomes the touch point for these individuals for troubleshooting, uh, you know, handholding in this whole patient journey that we know is important. So um, these technologies are certainly exciting to really decentralize access to hearing healthcare and they're enablers of new service delivery models. So, so, so totally agree. I think there's, there's, there's lots to look forward to. And, and as the technologies converge, I think we can expect price points should still come down. Um, but it's also maybe just important to, to mention that you know, OTCs is not a single category. There's there's good devices and there's devices that are not so good. So it's also important to make sure that we we test devices that we're evidence based in, in in what we provide and make available to people. Yes, and I'd like to just echo that. I mean, we're very excited about the OTC potential as well. Um, for exactly the reasons the vet mentions and the early studies are showing, you know, good outcomes, depending on the, you know, there's all kinds of ranges of devices, but even for very basic, uh, quick fit type of um, hearing aids, getting really good outcomes. We ran such a study in, in Guatemala and found very positive uh, user satisfaction with, with even a basic, you know, basic hearing aid. Um, but it also comes down to how you fit it and the counseling a little bit that comes after. But what we find is a little different when we compare, for example, uh, markets like the US and, and some of the countries we work in is certainly, it's important to have that human component. And so it can be a technician, it can be a frontline worker, but hearing loss is, is still, um, I would say, considered more of a disability than vision loss, where people are now buying you know glasses online without thinking twice. 
we, we find that it, it's still important to have that human interaction, uh, even if it's at the initial kind of at the initial meeting when someone, you know, gets diagnosed for the first time and gets a hearing aid fitted. So I, I think as Debet mentioned that that there's still that human contact that's important. And, and that's something that we've just found from experience uh, as, as we're developing these new models. Uh, there's especially initially that to get people past that initial hurdle of so their first hearing aid. Um, and once they've had a positive experience with their first hearing aid, then they often become users for life and then they're on their journey. Um, but but it is important to have that that sort of the quality of care um, and, and that human component in the equation. Yeah, I would agree completely. And 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 Shelley, I want to ask you a question. If uh, but yeah. I just want to want to say that I agree with you completely. That we think of it as self-fitting. I I go online, I order a hearing aid, I take the hearing test. It's fit to my hearing loss. I'm good to go. That that model is not going to work in many parts of the world. But I'm thinking more about the scale of the consumer product makers and how they can produce low-cost devices, and so that the capability for them to produce appropriate models delivered by appropriate professionals is an exciting new development. What might be a self-fitting device here would be a clinician fit device there with appropriate counseling and aftercare, but the scale of the industry could bring new possibilities. Now, so so Shelly, the question I had for you, and I know you wanted to say something too, uh, the yeah. question is, is uh, on global scale, do you see that all the pieces are in place to actually to be able to diagnose uh, to to also have access to professionals like ENTs when necessary and mm -hmm. to fit a device without special tools in like a local clinic or other setting do you see that there are still severe barriers to making that happen on global scale or do you do you see that it's now becoming possible through the diagnostic tools and the devices that are becoming available. Yeah, thanks. Uh, thanks, Andrew, for asking me all the easy questions. Um, <laughs> so I'm glad that one's easy. <laughs> <laughs> Indeed. So, uh, of course, I think many of the pieces are falling into place. We are not, uh, I would say, we are not there yet. It's absolutely possible um, to provide hearing care to the majority of people in a population. The reason why we are not there yet is because firstly, we still don't have the policies in place. So we have NGO, we have more and more NGO driven uh, and owned uh, models, which are fantastic, but to really have accessible hearing care for all. We need governments to step in and take responsibility and integrate this, not as, uh, as hearing care models specifically, but as part of care of children, as part of education of children, as part of care of older people. So it needs to be something that we need to take a life course approach and be sure that it is integrated there. So firstly is the, the continued need for integration at the policy level. So that's uh, first. Secondly, even though, um, yes, some of the things are, are available, for example, 
we can train health workers or uh, use minimally trained health workers to provide hearing aids, but there will always be a segment of the population that will need specialized care. Maybe that's 10%, 15%, 20%. Majority of needs we could, accept, uh, we could address, but it is not, not right, not ethical for us to raise that demand and awareness within that 15 to 20% or 10% uh, and not be able to address it. So we also need the specialists. We also need uh, specialized care for those who, who, who have that uh, particular need. And that's something which we are still missing because uh, audiologists, and uh, as you mentioned, I think right at the start uh, that in a country like the US, of course, you have many audiologists, uh, Devet mentioned in Africa, most of Africa, uh, less than one audiologist per million population and, and likewise for ENTs. So the human resource element there is very, very much lacking. And we need to also make sure that that part is supported. And the third part, which still is a huge challenge uh, and we need to keep chipping away at that is the stigma that is related to hearing uh, loss and use of hearing aids. Uh, Audra mentioned it very explicitly. And of course, there's no easy fix for that, uh, but it's something that will take time for us to, to mitigate to that extent that we can reach, I would say that, um, that tipping point after which we can say that there is no stopping us. Yeah, yeah, it's it, it makes a lot of sense. And, and what you said about uh, the need for specialized care, uh, I'll note that the, uh, the report in the Lancet, when they did their economic calculation, that there was a 15 times payoff, they calculated that based on reaching people with hearing loss to the 90% level, recognizing that the top 10% are the tough cases, okay? And so, so Devet, I want to ask you, because when we talk about enabling local people, whether clinicians or other allied care professionals, part of how we're gonna get further up that pyramid is gonna be through the diagnostic tools. How does a local care person know what they're looking at, know when it needs to be referred out, uh, how are they aided in making that primary triage and what resources do they have to consult with audiologists or ENTs when they have a question about what they're seeing? Uh, tell me about where we're at today in that respect. Andy, yes, um, that's an interesting question and exactly the kind of area where, you know, we've done a lot of work in, still doing a lot of work. We're excited for the kind of directions that, uh, you know, that space is is going in um, lots more work needs to be done but, but certainly leveraging the kind of mega trends in technology and the advances in both connectivity and you know technological advances it does provide us with tools that can be very simple to use can be operated by persons with minimal um, you know training can utilize automation 
um, interpretation to a, to, a, to a degree, but also allows for telehealth components. So it can link back to a cloud-based server where, you know, a remote audiologist or a, or a physician can actually, you know, verify or do surveillance and monitoring of data. So, so very exciting, um, you know, possibilities. The reality is that to a large extent, you know, uh, connectivity and technology has changed the face of, of, of the world, but especially low and middle income countries. You know, if you think of connectivity, it's changed the whole banking landscape in Africa. Suddenly, you know, people are, are, are using their mobile phones to do banking. It's changing agriculture, the way people are, are doing, um, you know, farming, even on a micro kind of level, you know, subsistence farming. And, and we believe those same enablers uh, are important for health. So we're seeing things like mHealth really, you know, be play, playing a very important role in places like Africa for drug, um, you know, compliance um, and, and also stock levels in pharmacies, et cetera. And, and it's our belief that it should also be an enabler for hearing healthcare. Um, both on the screening level, and, and I think, you know, that's really important. Audra also mentioned that, you know, do, is there enough touch points for people to know what their hearing status is? And, 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 and some of the work that we've been involved in is to utilize simple mobile phone technology with calibrated headsets, automated test equip, uh, apps that run off this so that you can do mass school screening, for example, of both hearing and vision from a single device with a minimally trained community health worker providing the service, but rig rigorous quality controls built into this and cloud-based um, you know, management of the data and, and surveillance and even referrals based on geolocation. So, so that component is very important, but I think you're alluding to the next level. If, if someone is identified with a hearing loss, what do we do then in terms of diagnostics? We, we're not doing diagnostics in a, in a soundproof booth, right? So they're not available, they're not there. So we need to find new ways of actually doing the diagnostics. And Shelley alluded to this as well, the whole idea of how do we triage upfront? So the 85% of patients who are simple sensory neural types of hearing loss that can be treated with a hearing aid and the support that follows that. But then the other 15%, how do I, we identify them and then you know, refer them onwards on this, um, on this pathway? And again, here I, I need to just refer to the WHO who's currently working. Uh, there's a task force um, that Shelley and, and others are leading. I'm also on, and Audra's also on that um, working group where we're looking at how do we, you know, develop new service delivery models that are in the field um, that can allow for the diagnostics, but also then for the hearing aid fittings to follow that. So um, on the diagnostic front, what the work we've been doing, and I can talk out of our experiences, again, utilizing mobile technologies, tablets, smartphones, calibrated headphones to do screening, uh, not just screening, but diagnostics to determine the thresholds. There's also exciting technologies, for example, like video otoscopes that can plug into devices now that you can take an image of the ear canal, the tympanic membrane, and with AI classifications, increasingly, we can identify which ears require triage for further treatment and which ears don't. So there's a bit of a, you know, a benefit to using machine learning there as well in terms of informing the decision trees. So I think there's a lot of work that's going to be going into that. We're utilizing that in our um, service delivery models at the moment. Um, but then again, we also, you need to think about value added um, 
testing. I think typically when you go to an audiology clinic, you get a full workup test battery, which is really great. But in these settings, we want to do the tests that are going to give us the right outputs to help this person in that setting. So pure tone audiometry, knowing what the middle ear status is, and, and, and then, you know, the, 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 is there any ear disease? Um, and, and that's not so difficult to differentiate. Uh, the difficult portion is those 15% of people who require medical care. And, and how do they access, uh, you know, the follow-up services? So we, we typically work with local government, local, um, you know, um, public health care facilities so that we can develop a referral pathway for those groups. We want to be sure that when we implement services, it's not just helping a certain portion, but it is providing access points for everyone along this continuum of care. And then, of course, those who have hearing loss that can be treated with hearing aids, we want to be sure that they can actually access those devices and increasingly not going to a specialized clinic, but getting it either in their homes or in a local um, NGO where there is services being provided for, for, for elderly persons, for example, so that it's really close to where the people find themselves. Um, we also find that as soon as it's outside of the community, that's a major barrier. You know, it, it just prevents people from actually going there to, uh, to maybe due to cost, maybe just due to uh, motivation, but actually to go um, out and, and get the help that they need. Yes, and I want to I, I want to just kind of add on to the the idea of complex care. Um, sometimes um, we tend to forget there's also a lot of children with hearing loss. We're talking about potentially 100 million and more if you're including mild losses. And even a mild loss, uh, a study showed that a child can lose 50 percent of what a teacher is saying in a classroom. Um, and so uh, I mentioned it because worldwide hearing is particularly focused on on children, and I think. Uh, you know, and, and uh, we need a lot more specialist care, you know, uh, in this. It's not, we need a lot more technicians trained to deal with children, but we also need for the more complex cases, multiple disability children. These are cases where it's really important to have more pediatric audiologists. And so if you, if you take a country like Peru, which has over 30 million people, they only have 12 audiologists. And of the 12, only two are pediatric audiologists. So within that context, one of the things we, we're also working on is innovative models um, for pediatric audiology, taking some of these things outside of a clinical setting. So typically play audiometry, which is used for children under the age of five, which are some of the more complex cases, um, and taking them to more of a field-based setting with, with a mix of tech and low tech, which is good training on how you can use toys to interact with kids in a, in a school-based or a daycare-based setting, for example, or in a home or... So, uh, you know, we, we need both. We need, we need more specialized care, and we also need new models to bring some of this, you know, more specialized care to the community level. Um, and one of the, I just wanted to give an example of one of our partners, our partner in Zimbabwe, an organization, a nonprofit called Wizier, I think has done a, a, a tremendous job, a really unique job of really working with the government to develop some of the models. So. They have their own clinic where they have audiologists, but they've also worked with the government and uh, within the government system to equip 10 hospitals across the countries, train nurses within the hospitals uh, to be providing uh, the screening and some of the hearing care, and have also started, uh, thanks to them, the first audiology program in Zimbabwe. So in an area where typically there's, you know, the neighboring countries have a handful, if not maybe one audiologist per country, 
they're now training 20 audiologists a year systematically. And I think that's really game changing. Um, and so these kind of models of, of creating not just more training uh, frontline workers, but also in, in parallel, more specialists in country. Oh, that's really interesting to hear. I, that, that's a, a, an aspect of it I hadn't hadn't heard much about, about how to proliferate the training of audiologists and other specialists. Because you're right, that the further you go up the pyramid, I mean, the more complex is the care and the more difficult it is to deliver on a global basis. Uh, but really what I'm hearing from this discussion is, is we're now in a place where, I mean, there's new thinking about care delivery at all levels that thanks to the, if you will, the convergence of hearing and consumer electronics, it's now becoming more and more possible to produce appropriate effective lower cost devices at scale and the diagnostic equipment especially when you start in integrating ml into it to help the local person uh, triage and access a specialist that all these are relatively new uh new initiatives or new capabilities that are making it more possible than ever before to deliver hearing care throughout the world which is really exciting so i'd like to 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 wrap up this panel discussion by thanking you all. I think it's been a really terrific discussion. And uh, let me have closing thoughts from each one of you on how you think this will go in the future and just how you how you think over what time scale, how we're going to get closer and closer to addressing the global pandemic of hearing loss. Uh, Shelly, let me start with you. Thanks, Andrew. So in terms of final thoughts, I would just like to give a, a message, let's say, to the, to the viewers or the listeners of this program, and which is simply to say that while we think of this often as, and, and I used to do that, uh, as something which is meant for WHO or governments uh, to do, it is really I think all of us as professionals, as researchers, as NGOs, as Tibet and Audra personify here, uh, must do is do our part. So what is it that we can do and how we can integrate a public health perspective into our clinical work, into our research work, into whatever uh, community work we do. And I think it is that shift that we as a, as the year in hearing care um, community need to bring into our thinking to make sure that we can all move this agenda forward. Thank you for that opportunity. Thank you, Devat. Uh, Andy, yes, um, some concluding thoughts. Uh, I think we are at the best place we've ever been before. Um, you know, there's, there's so many things that are positive. We know we've got the evidence uh, that the treatments that we have for hearing loss are really effective. They've never been this effective. It can change the life course of children and adults dramatically, and it can benefit uh, communities, economies if we provide the treatment. One of the major challenges in the past and still a challenge, but it's being addressed much better is the stigma and the lack of advocacy and awareness. The WHO has been amazing over the last five years to raise awareness with the various initiatives. 
And, um, and, and I think we've really seen the silent epidemic that's been the stepchild of public health really starting to move out uh, of the, the shadows and into the spotlight, which is really important. Governments in Africa, which in our experience was never the case, are now thinking about hearing loss, thinking about ways of actually you know, implementing um, frameworks for delivering ear and hearing care. So, so there's a lot of positive movements. And then I think we're also living in an age where we have the technologies that enable service delivery. So there's no excuses for not being able to deliver care in communities, both from the treatment, but also the screening and the diagnostic side. Um, and, and, and even the, the barriers like hearing healthcare professionals not being available, you know, there's a lot of that that we can overcome because we're using technologies that are simple to operate um, and, and that utilize, you know, other ways, telehealth and AI to support um, the, the triage and the diagnostic component. I, I, I think there's a lot of um, excitement. So I would say, you know, we've seen an exponential change in the last five years. I'm hoping the next five years we'll see twice as much change and 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 reach in terms of you know benefiting patients. So, so that's a large concluding thought, and and, and I'll just leave it at that. Thank you. It's hard to follow up on all those comments because I uh, you know I think a lot has already been said, but I think again we're we're at a turning point. Uh, I've seen more change in the last two to three years than in the last decade. We really feel that there's come an acceleration. Um, of of solutions of um, of awareness around hearing loss, and you know, let's be honest, parents are waking up now to the fact that their teenage kids already have some form of hearing loss because they're exposed to you know MP3 players and all these things, and so it's becoming an area where people are really starting to get concerned. And we have you know baby boomers that are confronted for the first time to to see what the cost of a hearing aid is, and they say, well, why is this why is this so expensive? Um, why you know. Uh, School is starting to ask, well, if we have vision screening every year, why are we doing hearing screening, right? So I think we're, we're starting to see um, the population asking questions. And I think that's part of the solution too. Um, and, and, and the call to action is we just need a lot more people um, working in this space. And so uh, for anyone listening today that's interested in getting involved, uh, you know, we, we need more of you. Um, and we also need more, more, more voices at the at the public policy level, um, making the case for why governments should get more involved. Um, and I, I imagine a world where every child, you know, gets screened in school for hearing loss. Um, every person has access to affordable hearing aids, and and I think that's possible. It'll take time, but but I think we're seeing an acceleration as as debate and also Shelley mentioned, you know, in terms of technology innovation and that's going to help drive uh, drive some of these uh, these changes well thank you all i i want to thank you for two things one is is, is you're all on the front lines of actually making this happen and, and for my part i much appreciate that and i also want to thank you for participating today uh, it was really great discussion and i think it's going to be very useful to go listen to this down the road when we've made further progress and see, you know, the starting points that you have all created. So thank you all. And thanks everybody who watched this session of the future of hearing healthcare.